0: Today's reading is taken from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. And with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. And having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Elizabeth, for reading. Thank you for praying, Evelyn. And let's pray one more time that God will speak to us this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word, we thank you for the church, and we thank you that you have, your son died and bled um, to gather us as your people, and we pray now that you would serve us again by your word to strengthen us, to draw us um, to yourself, uh, that we might be the body of Christ that shows the world who you are. Lead and guide us um, even as we speak and listen to your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't know if you feel this way, but Sunday mornings are often very hard. If you have small kids, it feels like putting the shoes on for kids is like fighting a spiritual battle. <laughs> and, you know, it's a, a Sunday mornings are the times when the, the, the warmth of the bed is most inviting. And, you know, the flu is going around and it feels like, ah, maybe I'm feeling a little sick today again. And maybe you were tempted to skip church this morning. Of course, um, these days, the church is only a click away. Or is it? What is the church anyway? And why do we go? Why do we come? We are in the second part of the resolution um, series. And I hope you'll see why striving to meet every week is important by end of the sermon together with other, other Christians, I hope you'll see that the physical meeting together is God's plan for us and for the world. And the Bible gives many reasons. I'm going to just highlight four of them. That the church is this bodily, physical meeting, and the church is this social uh, thing, one another thing. The church is a visible institution, and it is one task with the mission of, uh, for the world. It is missional. So let me go to the first one. Some people think that the church exists only for the teaching and preaching of God's Word. In some, some churches, not so much here, um, but I've seen in churches where people come right before the sermon, and they, they leave right after the sermon because that's all they really wanted to get out of the Sunday morning. And I imagine, I imagine here, uh, I imagine in Hong Kong today, thousands of people in Hong Kong today are... Uh, um, Tuning in, uh, who are attending virtual virtual church? When they do, they you know. uh, Let's face it. I mean, we've gone through this all um, during COVID. They kind of hum through the 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 singing. They sort of pay attention to the prayer, but what they're really paying attention to is the sermon. They they want to listen to the sermon, and that's what the church is: Uh, hearing the sermon, sort of downloading of information in our minds, friends. I want you to know that Christianity is not about downloading of information to our minds. To believe this is to fall into what's called a Gnostic heresy. The heresy that says actually what's important, what's really important, really, is what's going on in your mind and in your heart. If you believe the right things, if we have the right information, then we can be close to God. We're united with God. That's what Gnostics taught, and that is not Christian Christianity is unique in this sense that it has always taught that our life is bodily. Our physical body is important. What we do in our bodies is important. Um, And worship, Christian worship, is not just a mind thing. It is also a bodily thing. It's a physical thing. Partly, this is because we are physical people. Human beings are physical people. You cannot separate the mind from the body. This is how one theologian put it. Humans are souls more than, that we, more than we have souls. It is not so much we have bodies as we are bodies. All our experiences, whether we call them intellectual, emotional, spiritual, are also always physical. I mean, think about all your spiritual experiences, It touched your emotions. Your body responded to them. When God speaks to you, it's not just to the mind. It is to the body. Our body responds because that's who we are. We're not just people who have bodies. We are bodies. That is humanity. That is human beings. And so Christian worship is more than downloading the right information to our hearts or to our minds. It's a physical gathering. The church, the Greek word, uh, that's translated as the church, really it means assembly. It means gathering. It means a group of people who are gathered together. The New Test- Think about the New Testament image uh, that God uses. It's the temple of God, right? We are built and we're temple together, not just invisibly, uh, but we, are com- we come together as the people of God and we are the temple of God together. So Paul writes, for example, in 2 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, the church of God in Corinth together with all the holy people. You know, he's writing to this specific church that's gathering in Corinth. As we have gathered here, the church of God in uh, city one, in Hong Kong, the church of God meets together, but that's not the whole of the church, together with other saints all around the world but we're part of that because we are here, because we are meeting together as God's people. And of course, the, most, the physical nature of the church is most sort of fully expressed or fully seen when we do sacraments. Sacraments are the baptism and the communion. Next slide. Jesus did not say, go and make disciples of all nations and make them to believe in, teach them to believe in God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I guess he could have said that, but what he says is, he says, go and baptize them. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, conversion isn't just to do with our minds. Conversion is, has to do with our bodies as well. We, our bodies, are being renewed. We, this, we, this, this body is God's. And, and when we are dunked underwater, where we're splashed, uh, what we're saying is that we, our bodies, are now God's. And what we have to do with our bodies is important. Uh, communion is uh, the, the same. God could have just said, believe in me and that I died for you but he doesn't do that. I mean, he does do that, but he also does this. He takes the bread and says, this is my body. He takes a cup of wine and says, this is the blood shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. The word is dramatized and the grace of the broken body of Christ and the blood that's shed for you is dispensed through the things that you touch, things that you eat, things that you consume. Because we are bodily beings and God has made provision to receive His grace through bodily things, through physical things. And if we spend any time thinking about it, of course we think that bodies are important. Of course presence is important. Of course bodily presence cannot be replaced by virtual things or just spiritual things. I mean, you know, it's one thing to say to somebody who is in the hospital, I'm praying for you. Of course, that's an important thing to do, and we should do that. It's quite another thing. It's not the same thing at all to go and sit with that person, to go and touch that person, hold that person's hand. It's a completely separate thing. Yeah, people who have online dating experiences. You you might go, well, I've had great conversations with this person. I know this person. I have these conversations. But then the moment that you meet that person, well, you know, it's a different thing. It's a different experience because we're bodily people. We're physical people. And it's one thing to worship together, logged on to the same sort of website um, going on. But it's quite another to sit together, to stand together, to pray together, to sing together, even to listen to God's Word together. It's a different thing as we come to meet together because we're embodied people. And being together is not replaceable by something less than that. So the writer of Hebrews, as we read, famously wrote, he commands us not to give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. He tells us to encourage one another by meeting together through corporate worship. It's a way of encouraging one another to keep going. You're showing up as a ministry of attendance. You're showing up as ministry of encouragement. Because as we come together, as we sit next to the people around you, we're saying actually, God is at work in me. God is at work in us. Let's keep going until the day of Jesus comes, until the fullness of day comes. So, church, strive to meet together every week. Encourage one another all the more as the day is approaching. Strive to meet together. But as we meet together, also strive to get to know one another to get to know one another. Because we are social people. We're also... Uh, next slide. We're also... Um, yeah, uh, we're also one another people. The church is not... It's an organization together. I mean, I'll make that point clear in the third one. But it's, it's not a loose sort of spiritual association of individuals because we, as human beings, are not just individuals. Uh, we are group people. We're one another people. We're communal and social people. You know, often we think of Christianity individualistically. It's, we almost think of it as an insurance policy that we take out uh, uh, for heaven, for me. No, but it's much more than that. It's about not just going to heaven, but we'll be in heaven in community (laughs) as God's people. And God is renewing the humanity here and now. And because we are social, communal people, God is renewing us. God is renewing us by bringing us to His people so that they could shape and form us. That's why the New Testament uh, knows of no Christian who does not belong to a church. Christians are church people. As we saw, now go back uh, to uh, verse 24. We saw in verse 24, let us encourage, let let us consider how we may spur one another on. That's just one of many one another passages, and this is coming up. There's so many others. Love one another, welcome one another, care for one another teach one another, bear one another's burdens, confess to one another, show hospitality to one another. There are so many of these one-another commands. And we cannot do this by watching TV on a Sunday morning. We cannot do any of the one-another things on our own. We cannot do it by listening to a great sermon. It may be a great sermon, but we cannot be a one-another people on our own. In fact, we should envision holiness differently. I don't know what you think when you think of a holy person. But it's not. It shouldn't be an individual doing their individual thing. I love how this writer put it. Being holy does not mean sitting at home and reading your Bible or not looking at pornography. It means obeying God's command to love and serve one another, particularly in our church communities. To do this, we need to be together. Being holy... Being Christ-like does not mean being a pious individual who read the Bible, who pray on my own. Being holy means doing all the one another things. To love one another, to listen to one another, to forgive one another, to, to be with others, to love others. We are not just individuals. We are communal people. Holiness involves communal living, loving the people around us. So, as you come to church, strive to to come to know one another. Make the effort to talk to people here. Um, Join a small group. Uh, That's the best way of doing that. But also, uh, chit-chat downstairs after the service. You know, the, the thing is, uh, I think it's 150 people is sort of our limit um, of getting to know people. Outside of that, it becomes very difficult. But the sociologists will tell you that the weak ties that you have, weak relationships that you have, they're also very crucial in your formation. It's not just the strong relationships that form you, the people that sort of you know by face, that you've talked to time to time, just by virtue of you being drawn to a world very different from yours. Their little things that they say, or even just who they are, will affect who you are, will affect what kind of a disciple of Jesus you become. These weak ties are crucial to our formation. So strive to get to know a few people who will walk the spiritual life with you, but also strive to get to know the others. You know, it doesn't have to be all deep relationships. That's totally fine. God is using all of us to form all of us as His disciple. So strive to get to know one another. We're one another people. And also strive, uh, please know that the church is not just a spiritual association, but it's a visible institution. So belong to a church. Belong to a church. Strive to belong, to be a member of the church. I know that many millennials bristle at the idea of or the word institution for good reasons. Um, Institution sort of suggests hierarchy and structures that are rigid, that sort of crushes individual, individuality, individual creativity, or whatever. And also, um, uh, we've seen institutions abuse of power. Institutions have done bad things. The church has done bad things. And so we don't want to belong to a church. We say, well, I believe in Jesus. And so therefore, I'm somehow connected to Jesus apart but I don't want to belong to a church. They believe that they're still part of the invisible church. They can be still part of the invisible church without being part of the visible body of Christ. And of course, the church is bigger. It's bigger than the visible church. It's bigger than Shatian Church. It's bigger than the denomination. Uh, it is a spiritual thing. There is an invisible church, the body of Christ that, unites, that we're united to around the world. But the church is bigger than the invisible institution, but it's not smaller. It is not smaller than the visible church. Of course, not everybody who belongs to the visible church belongs to the invisible church. There are people here. Uh, who might come, but who are not really a Christian, who does not belong to the body of Christ. But belonging to a visible church is indispensable part of being part of the body of Christ. Saint Cyprian famously wrote, No one can have God for his father who does not have the church for his mother. And it's not just an early church thing. Reformers, John Calvin takes that idea, commenting on Ephesians. He says, The church is the common mother of all the godly, which bears, nourishes, and governs in the Lord both kings and commoners. The church is the common mother. The Westminster Confession puts it most starkly. It says, Out of the visible church, there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. Out of the visible church, there is no ordinary possibility of salvation. Of course, most importantly, Jesus built the church. He founded the visible church. He's concerned for its health. In Matthew 16, he, G, Peter makes his pivotal confession. He says, uh, Jesus says, who do people say, say I am? Mean, who do you say that I am? Mean? He says, you are the Son of God. You are the Christ, Son of the living God. And then Jesus then says this, you are Peter, And on this rock, I will build the church. I will build the church. Jesus wants to build the church. He's still building the church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it, It is the promise. And he's concerned about the health of the church. And this is very uh, obviously the visible church. When talking about in chapter 15, how to deal with unrepentant sinners... He's got this whole section, chapter 18. Next slide, please. Um, If a brother or sister sins, go and point out uh, their faults. And then if they are unrepentant, if they still refuse, verse 17, tell it to the church. Well, who's the church that they're going to? It's not a spiritual church. It's the people who are meeting together. Go and tell them. It's a visible church. He assumes that there is a visible church that's meeting together. And later on, when he says then, uh, in verse 24, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Often we say that this to mean, you know, when we meet together, God is with us. It's not what that means. This whole section is the conclusion. That is the conclusion of this section on church discipline. Astonishingly, what God is saying is the decisions about the church discipline that the church makes. Because my spirit is with you, I will be with your decision. That is what this is saying. Of course, Jesus is concerned that us, we together, the visible members of the church, are holy. That we are living lives that reflect His glory. And later on, we see from Paul that church is, I mean, he describes church as a structure. Ephesians 4, we just read this, for Christ Himself gave uh, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for the works of service. Once again, this isn't an invisible association. It is a structure built on people. The foundations of apostles and the prophets, pastors and teachers, evangelists, people playing different roles within the body of Christ. Friends, God has founded only two institutions— One is family. The other one is the church family. And it's imperative that we belong to God's family. Imperative that we belong to a church and continue to meet together. In the book, uh, Disciplines of Godly Men, that I recommended uh, a few weeks back, Pastor Ken Hughes calls those who come to church but do not belong to one, he calls them hitchhikers hitchhikers and i think it's he's right those who benefit you know from having somebody else having the car somebody else driving and hitchhiking and he says don't be a hitchhiker be a member belong to the church that's what god is building here on earth and if you think then why is god concerned about the institution of church. Why is God building the church? Because the church is tasked with the mission. Because we have a mission that's greater than what I as an individual can do, what you as an individual can do. We're tasked with the mission that God is doing uh, in the world. The church is missional. Together through a group of people, God is accomplishing His purpose. I know, once again, that m- many people don't like the uh, word institution, but think about good institutions. <laughs> you know, what good institutions can do. They can do so much more than what individuals can do. I mean, if you want to do, uh, do world-class research, you need to build a world-class institu- research institution, like a university or another institution. In order to um, uh, improve the environment, we need companies that build electrical uh, cars or whatever, but we need to—we need these people to come together in an organized way to do great things and, and and in order to change the world. God is building His church, this organization that is greater than individuals. So, what is God doing through the church? I, rec- I recommend reading Book of Ephesians, the whole thing. It's a, a lot about the church. Um, but let me just uh, highlight a few things. One is Ephesians 1.10. God's purpose is to unite everything under the lordship of Jesus, which means bringing different people who are alienated, alienated from one another as one body uh, under the lordship of Jesus. And that's what God is doing through the church, uniting everything, all people under Christ. And that's why I love Shateen Church. Because if you look around, there are people of every, I mean, I think there are 15 more different nationalities here. God is bringing us as one under the lordship of Jesus. There are people of every class um, here. There are people of every educational level. Different personalities, different people are coming together, becoming one in Christ. That's what God is doing in the church. And that is important That's why you coming is important. That's why you getting to know one another is important because that's the work that God is doing, bringing unity under the Lordship of Jesus. Another task, of course, is evangelism. Evangelism is hard. Sharing the Christian faith with others is hard. So we do it together. So we do it through Christianity Explored, Alpha Course, going out on mission trips, training people for evangelism, uh, the outreach, uh, uh, things that we do, uh, guest events. We love to go out as also a community, uh, to to love the community um, as well. We also serve uh, financially through prayer, our mission partners, people who are doing greater things. We can do together what no individual can. But the thing that I also am just really excited about is the final thing. The ultimate purpose of the church is to be a vision of the worshiping community that will come in all over the world, and that is a reflection of what is going on in heaven. Our worship is a small reflection of heavenly worship. Today, I don't know, there are 150 people here, adults here, um, we're worshiping God. There are many more. In heaven, there's a heavenly worship going on. We get a glimpse of it in the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation chapter 4. We get uh, the glimpse of these creatures of God and people of God singing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. We see a great multitude that no one can count in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9, worshiping God together. And as the book of Revelation reaches its crescendo uh, to Revelation chapter 19, verse 1, we see this verse after this. I heard what sounded like a roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God the roar of a great multitude. We are a small reflection of that worship that is going on in heaven, and that will come to all over the world. We are a reflection of that, friends. We are telling the world that we have a God who is worthy of our worship. We're telling the world as we meet together that, God, we have a Savior, that we have a King who is loving and good, that our lives are His, that we want to worship And that's what we are doing collectively together. You can see why often then, Sunday morning feels like a spiritual battle because it is a spiritual battle. It is a spiritual battle Because our bodily and physical meeting is also spiritual meeting. And through us, God is creating a new humanity, a different people. God is uniting all things to himself through our meetings here. And showing the world what salvation looks like, what worship looks like. It is a spiritual battle. So fight the spiritual battle each week in striving to meet together. Do not give up meeting as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that we are now, we were not a people, but now we are. Lord, we are your people. Lord, help us to live up to our identity. Help us to fulfill the mission that you are doing amongst us. Help us to know what that is and help us to strive um, towards fulfilling it. Be at work within us, in us, uh, in and among us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.